The journalist, Maria Lally, described her experiences as a 30-something mum moving out of the bustling London lifestyle that she had enjoyed since first starting work for a quieter life with her young family in the Surrey countryside. She very quickly realised not only that she did not know anybody in the village, but that it was going to be difficult to make friends because everyone else was already embedded in long-standing friendships. I vividly remember, she wrote, listening to two women arranging to go for a coffee and I could have cried. That's something most of us could empathise with. We seem to spend so much of our time peering like lonely Victorian waifs through misty windows into cosy, warm rooms full of laughter and people happily absorbed in relationships of one kind or another. Friendship and loneliness are two sides of the same social coin and we lurch through life from one to the other. What has surprised medical researchers over the last decade or so is just how dramatic the effects of having friendships actually are, not just for our happiness, but also for our health, well-being and even how long we live. We do not cope well with isolation. Friendship, however, is a two-way process that requires both parties to be reasonably accommodating and tolerant of each other, to be willing to spare time for each other. Nowhere has this been so obvious as in the modern world. Just when we might think social life couldn't get better, suddenly we find ourselves in the midst of a plague of loneliness. A study of nearly 4,000 men in Australia carried out for the Movember Foundation in 2014 reported that men with few friends and low social support experienced most psychological distress. The ones that were especially vulnerable were those whose friendships were based on nothing more than a common interest, such as a sports club, as participation in the activity fell away, as members married, had children or moved away, so those who remained lost friends, and these weren't easily replaced. Loneliness is turning out to be the modern killer disease, rapidly replacing all the more usual candidates as the commonest cause of death. Why is this? Or, to put the question the other way around, if you don't already believe that friendship is good for you, let me see if I can persuade you. Thanks be to friends. Perhaps the most surprising finding to emerge from the medical literature over the past two decades has been the evidence that the more friends we have, the less likely we are to fall prey to diseases and the longer we will live. Julianne Holt-Lundstad, who leads the Social Connections and Health Laboratory at Utah's Brigham Young University and specialises in the impact of social connections and loneliness on our life chances, provides us with some particularly compelling evidence. She examined 148 epidemiological studies that provided data on factors that influenced people's risk of dying. There are two things I like about this study. First, between them, these 148 studies sampled over 300,000 patients. That's an enormous number of subjects by any standards and means that the findings are likely to be very robust. Second, it is very hard-nosed. Its outcome measure is whether or not you survived. So many studies use rating scales of the kind that ask, rather vaguely, on a scale of 1 to 5, how much do you like X? I hold my hand up to that as much as anyone else. And these are always at the mercy of the subjectivities of how different individuals interpret the wording of a question or feel on that particular day. 
Does my rating of I'm very happy today mean the same as yours? Does it even mean the same this week as I felt last week? Using whether you died or not as its criterion avoids this trap completely because there can be no argument. Either you survive or you die. No ifs, buts, whens or howevers. Among the factors included in the analysis were all the usual suspects beloved by your doctor. How overweight are you? How much do you smoke? How much alcohol do you drink? How much exercise do you take? How polluted is the air where you live? Have you had the flu vaccine? What rehabilitation regime are you on? Have they given you any drugs? In addition, however, they looked at a series of measures about the person's social world. These included things like, are you married or single? How much do you participate in social activities? How many friends do you have? How involved are you with your friends or with the wider community you live in? Do you feel lonely or socially isolated? How much emotional support do you feel you get from other people? The big surprise was that it was the social measures that most influenced your chances of surviving, and especially so after heart attacks and strokes. The best predictors were those that contrasted high versus low frequencies of social support and those that measured how well integrated you were into your social network and your local community. Scoring high on these increased your chances of surviving by as much as 50%. Only giving up smoking had anything like the same effect.